I welcome you to go ahead and open up your Bibles uh, to back to Luke chapter 2. And uh, you're also welcome to follow along. I believe we have the text uh, in the bulletin as well. For those of you who are visiting, so you don't get too confused, um, in the church Bibles are the New International Version, and that's what uh, Pastor Smith has read from. Um, I'll be actually using another text called the English Standard Version, and that's what's printed in the bulletin. They're pretty close together. There's, you're not going to have any difficulty following along. Now, I suppose if there's anything that just amplifies the difference between, let's say, the children who were up here and um, the rest of us, we might call the growing older generation, there's nothing where it amplifies the difference when it comes to our different perspectives about Christmas. I mean, every year, every year, we say the same thing around November. You say, what? November already? Christmas is coming again? I don't remember it coming so fast. I mean, the one common thing we always know every year is that we will be surprised at how fast Christmas is approaching. We've got so much to do. How are we going to get it all done? Now, if we're able to go way back into time, when we were little, remember how agonizingly slow the days went by before Christmas. We had a problem. There was some stuff that we wanted to have that hasn't come yet. We were given a promise. Santa was going to come through. But Christmas was just so far away. Now, even so, Christmas did arrive. And the promise that was going to solve the problem, it turned into that actual provision that morning. Now, our text takes us to that promised provision that solved our great problem. So let's take a look at that text again. It's chapter 2 of Luke. I'm going to begin reading in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now i got to thank our, our pastor, Sam. He saved the best sermon for me in the Advent series. I mean... He had to give it, first of all, he had to talk about the problem of sin. I mean, that's kind of a bummer to have to, to preach upon. Now, he did, last Sunday, get to, to speak about the promise. And that's better. But even as he said, 
It's a promise that was going to take a long time to be fulfilled. That's all it was. It was just a promise. Now, this angel announces the promise has arrived. For unto you is born this day. He's not saying that the good news is this, that the promise, it's now been placed on the schedule. Okay. This is not another message from an angel about what's going to take place sometime. It has, or rather he has, he's arrived. He's here this very day. And he is the promise that everyone has been yearning for. In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's that long-expected Messiah. Christ is the Greek term for the Hebrew word Messiah. Furthermore, he's born in the city of David. angel doesn't say Bethlehem, the city of David. He's reminding them of that promise that was made centuries earlier to David, in which God has said, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. It's now being fulfilled. The one who's going to sit on that throne, the one who is from the lineage of David, is going to sit upon Israel's throne, and he's the Savior. Now, when the shepherds heard that word, Savior, they're thinking, okay, he is the one who is going to deliver them, in this case, from the Romans. And so the Christ, the Messiah, furthermore, he is the Lord. Okay, and that would also make sense to them. Because they were expecting the Messiah to be, you know, what we today would call a, a superhero, okay? going to be a man, but he's not going to be just a man. He's going to have great powers that he's going to use for this deliverance. I mean, this is all so great. This is what the Jewish people have been longing for 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 centuries. It's what they've been expecting for this long-awaited Messiah. Now, it's the next line that would have seemed a bit odd. It's in verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. Okay, here's how you're going to know. This is the Messiah. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. A manger. I mean, really. The king, the Messiah, he's he's in a manger, a feeding trough. Now, the shepherds, They probably weren't thinking too much about it at that moment. I mean, the oddity of it. I mean, at that moment, throughout the sky are thousands of angels, and they're breaking forth and in praise to God. And so, I mean, that kind of just overwhelms you. I'm surprised they even remember the message after that. But Luke, who's writing this, he thinks it is significant that the baby is in a manger. It's the only element in Luke's narration, that appears three times. It's in verse 7, when there's the account of the baby being born and is laid in a manger. There's the announcement from the angels, going to be in a manger. And finally, in verse 16, the shepherds go, and there's the baby in a manger. Luke wants us to, to understand this. Why? What's he saying to us? 
Well, that for all of the fanfare of the angelic announcement, I mean, that's, that's really great, the actual circumstance of the Messiah's birth is a humble circumstance. And it is seemingly insignificant as a birth can be. The Messiah is born evidently in poverty. And however illustrious his lineage may be, you know, be coming from David, he is born a nobody in the eyes of the world. You know, even this very visit of the angels, it's, it's an odd case about it. Why do you go to shepherds of all people? I mean, why don't they go to Jerusalem? Why don't they appear before some priests, before religious leaders, maybe members of, that, of the Sanhedrin, maybe even Herod? That would have been the logical thing to do. It certainly would have had more impact. I mean, the shepherds go. They, you know, they do the best job they can of spreading the news. But after all of this said and done, we, the only thing we hear is that some people hear it and they go, wow, that's, that's something. That's about it. We don't hear anything more. And one reason is this, is the shepherds themselves. They are of little account in their society. I mean, think of it this way. I mean, if somebody wants to be a candidate for president of the United States, I mean, how do you make your announcement? You, you, you might go to your hometown, but however you do it, you make sure that there is media there, you make sure that it's going to get as much coverage as possible. You don't have go out to a cattle ranch at night and ask a handful of ranch hands Guys, would you get the word out for me? So how you do it? Now again, you have this, this wonderful appearance of angels in the sky. Now, that's great. That's worthy of the announcement of the Messiah. But why do you waste such glory and such wonder on a few shepherds? I mean, it certainly seems that God is, is hiding his light under a bushel, doesn't it? Or closer to the truth, he seems to emphasize this, that however glorious the birth of the Messiah is, and it is glorious, the Messiah comes in humility, and he comes to those who are humble. To put it another way, the, the long-expected provision when it finally arrives, doesn't seem to be that great of a provision. So humble, so small. We are given not a warrior king, we're given a baby. And that baby does not arrive in, in glorious dress, it's wrapped in some strips of some cloth or some rags. And he's laid in a feeding trough. You get that fanfare of the angels, but again, nobody other than these peasant shepherds hear them. This, this is the great provision. Now, such a question would be raised throughout Jesus' life because truth be told, he never fulfilled the expectations of his people. Now, he did those miracles, and those were great. That was something, but he didn't take advantage of them. I mean, one time the people actually were ready. I mean, he'd been feeding them miraculously, and they're ready to make him king, and he sneaks away. 
He has nothing to say about the Roman oppressors other than, you know, well, we'll turn the other cheek and, you know, you owe taxes. Well, you, you should pay your taxes. He doesn't take up a weapon. He leads no army. He ends up dying ignobly on a cross. This is the promised provision. You know, it's really the question that's raised today. People around us, I mean, throughout the world, I mean, they, you know, they, they like Christmas time. The Christmas carols are, are nice to sing. The nativity scenes are, are sweet. And it's good to take children to see those things. But, but really, we in this postmodern scientific age, are we actually to believe that away in a manger, who is this little baby who is the son of God, are we to believe in this fairy tale? This is the provision for mankind, the hope of the world. I mean, unbelievers, they get understand, they, unbelievers look at the churches, and quite frankly, they're not impressed. They see a mixture of what they would think be superstition, attributed to lack of education or just, you know, just gullibility, backward ways of thinking. They see a hodgepodge of belief systems and behavior. And you can go to some really large churches and high-class ways, or you, you go to storefronts or little country churches and kind of like country revivalism, and they, you know, they kind of find it amusing. And they say, this is the church that possesses the provision for mankind. And I... I would ask some of you, is there anyone here this way? Are you here in this sanctuary out of politeness? You know, you find the people nice, you like singing the carols, but, but really, really, who could believe that there was this baby in history who was the Son of God, sent to save the world from sin? It's, it, it's too far-fetched. It certainly is too imperfect when you consider those who profess such a faith. Quite honestly, those who profess faith, they clearly have their faults. Or to put it in a way that the Apostle Paul put it, would God entrust such treasure, as Paul would say, in jars of clay? Why that way? Well, the message of the first Christmas is that God did do just that. The provision arrived. He arrived in a humble-looking package. Nevertheless, he came. He did not fulfill the expectations of his people at that time. Nevertheless, he carried out the true mission of the Messiah, which was to save the people from Romans or whoever else they think suppressing them, but from their sins. And even what appeared to be the ultimate failure was the ultimate victory. He accomplished in his death what he was born to do. And now what he calls upon all of us in each generation is that whatever our social status, whatever our education level, whatever our ethnicity, or our race, our nationality, whatever we are, he calls upon each of us to do the same thing. 
to exercise faith in him. This is not a modern Christmas message that encourages you to believe in the, in the magic of Christmas. Yeah. To have faith in some kind of vague idea that, you know, everything's, everything's kind of working out the way it, it should be. Everything has a purpose. No. Jesus Christ, the baby born in a manger, calls you now to believe that he is the son of the living God who died upon the cross for your sins so that you will have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the great provision. And though it admittedly, it remains dressed in in humble package of the church and of frail people, though it's proclaimed by ministers who at best or jars of clang. It's the promise that was made at the beginning of mankind to solve that problem that has beset men and women throughout history. It is the promise proclaimed by the angels is now being provided. Now consider that proclamation. Let's look at it in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The angels, they're giving this announcement that the Messiah has been born. What else can they but do? They just got to do it. They have to break forth in adoration of God. Because one thing you've got to realize, they have seen God's glory. There's nothing hidden from their eyes. They know the treasure of the provision. They know the glory of the Son of God. So they're just breaking forth in that. And then, and then they give a benediction. They give a blessing to mankind. And on earth, peace. Well, what do they say next? Have you noticed? What you're kind of asking, where's this where's goodwill toward man? If you have your King James Version, you've got that. What's this among those with whom he is pleased, or the way it is in the NIV, to those on whom his favor rests? Why is such a difference in translations? The cause of the difference is one, just one little letter in the Greek language. It's a matter of the letter called sigma, what we would write as S. Now, I'm not going to go into all the, the te- technical arguments. I'm only to say, basically, it's this. The King James translators based their translation on manuscripts. They have manuscripts that did not include that S, that sigma. Modern translations actually have access to even older manuscripts that did have that S. And that little sigma determines how... Just the two Greek words, and that, that phrase, goodwill toward men, or on whom he has favor, and so on, it's only two words. It's a Greek word for, for man, and a Greek word that's translated, well, it could be pleasure, it could be satisfaction, it could be goodwill, it could be favor. It could translate it in a number of ways. So which is correct? Well, I tell you personally, 
I mean, I like the King James Version. I mean, it just reads better, don't you think? It's certainly more poetic, you know, goodwill toward man. The modern translations, it, it's, like, it's like they gave it to the angelic legal department to fine-tune it, you know, and make sure it's not misunderstood or, or something. But, well, that's mere preference on my part. The textual scholars, probably most of them lean toward the modern version as being the more likely original wording. Now, this difference in translation is certainly affects how we understand what they're saying. I mean, let's take the King James. Peace on earth and goodwill toward man. I mean, what you have there is, is a blessing on mankind in general. Let there be peace throughout the world and may God, may God show his goodwill to everyone. As Tiny Tim would say, God bless us. Everyone. Now, does God bless everyone? Does he bless the world through his son? Well, Jesus himself taught that God the Father, he says, shows mercy even to the wicked. There in Luke 6, verses 35 to 6. And, and surely we can see, can't we see how the coming of Christ, the spread of the gospel, the Christian faith, how it has benefited mankind in general, whether people believe it or not, it, it has brought great good uh, to the earth, and I would say a lot of peace to the earth. For, for all of its troubles, the world is a better place because of a religion that exalts peace and love and mercy. This is what was displayed and taught by the founder, Jesus Christ. And if that is what the angelic benediction is about, that's what the angels are doing, well then fine, that's good. Now the second translation though, kind of gives a more focused slant on who receives the blessing and what that blessing is. To understand this blessing, we have to understand well, we have to understand what our pastor was teaching us two weeks ago. He made a big deal about this. You know, he said, well, you know, you can't understand this unless you know the problem. What's the problem? Now, I recall what he said the problem was is since we do not love God. In fact, we're in rebellion against God. Now, now, everyone's going to deny that charge. I mean, nobody's going to say, oh, look, I'm rebelling against God. I mean, there are a few wild folks who would. But that is what Scripture says. And what Scripture teaches is that there is enmity between us and God. Our problem is not that we're just not in tune with the divine or something. We're in rebellion against God, and there is judgment hanging over our heads, and we have no hope of escaping this condemnation from God, not of ourselves. And so the peace then that is needed, that is really needed, is the peace of reconciliation with God. That is true and lasting peace. I mean, the peace on earth, that, that's good. But, in, but, you know, just trying to have peace between, you know, peoples and earth, you know, it's tenuous at best. It's never lasting. You know, we can get by. We, we're, you know, the earth is doing okay. 
But life cannot carry on eternally if there is not reconciling peace with God. If we don't have this peace with God, we're doomed. This is a problem that has eternal consequences. And solving this problem is the most critical matter for every human being. And so the angel's message is that it is such peace that this baby in a manger will achieve. And he's going to achieve it for, well, for who? That's the next question. To everyone on earth? To those whom God is pleased? To those on whom his favor rests? In other words, I mean, this is the question. Is there a limit to who receives this peace? Well, we have to look around, and obviously, not everyone does receive this peace. Throughout the ages, at least most people do not believe in this baby as their Savior. Indeed, most people don't believe that there's a problem between them and God in the first place. If there is a God, they're getting along just fine. Thank you. So there is a limited number of men and women on earth who do actually receive the peace of salvation that the Christ child came to provide. And for them, this angel, the angel's reference to peace, it has a much deeper, richer meaning than it does for the others. And again, to see it kind of, you know, God has goodwill towards us and, and hopefully there will be some more peace on earth. But then there's still another question in this. Has God already limited who would receive the blessing? I mean, the angels give a blessing on those whom God already favors, whom he's already pleased with. This happens, they're giving the blessing before the infant grows up to accomplish his work, and people are able to respond. Now, is the angelic announcement only for them? But I put this question to you. This is the only question that matters to each of us. Is the announcement for you? You determine if the peace includes you or not. It rests with you. Now to receive it or to reject it. You are the revealer of whether God is pleased with you or not. If his good will is upon you or not, you, you've been led to the water of life. It's up to you to drink. You have been offered, as Jesus said, the bread of heaven. It's your choice now to, to join in the feast. You're not being asked to figure out if you're chosen. You're being asked to respond to the call. And if you haven't responded, what holds you back? Is the provision not what you expected it to be? Are you afraid of how you will appear to your friends or to your peers? You know, you might be laughed at, you might be looked down upon, you might even be shunned. Are you concerned with what might be expected of you as a, as a follower of this Savior? I mean, what would you have to give up? What would you have to take on? I mean, it can be unnerving, I admit. Even, even Jesus said, 
said, look, you count the cost before you follow me. There's a cost to it. But the peace, the peace of reconciliation with, with God, our Creator, the peace of knowing, of knowing that we belong to Him, that we are loved by Him, it's a joyous blessing indeed, and it is worthy of the songs of angels. There is, there is the peace of knowing that, that there is something that is real in this postmodern world. You know, we're, we're taught that, you know, all the beliefs, all the religions, they're all just merely points of view. There's nothing we can really know. To know this, to know that this story of the infant in a manger is true. I mean, it's really true. That the baby literally was, is the Son of God. That he actually was the promised one. That he did indeed, he actually won our reconciliation upon that wooden cross. That takes us up into marvels. Far beyond. Far beyond all the fables, the myths, and the fairy tales of this world. This is the peace of the Christ child. The babe who was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. This is the peace of the Son of God who walked upon this earth, who offered himself for the salvation of whosoever would believe in him. Will you believe? We give you praise, our God, for our Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, the Messiah, the promised one, who accomplished his mission upon this earth. We give you praise that we believe what is real, what is true, what we can hold on to. And Father, I do pray. I pray there is anyone who is here who is yet to grasp this, who is yet to commit to it, to believe it. Open their eyes to see within the, these jars of clay and whatever their eyes see, to, to see the treasure of the true provision of Jesus Christ, the Savior of sin. In his name we pray. Amen.